it is time for episode number eight of The Pitch. On today's episode, I will discuss a new strange modification that the MLB has to offer for the 2021 season. I will discuss a different side of London in today's soccer section and back over to the NFL for the hot take but it isn't exactly about what you would think. There's got to be some New York sports in there somewhere. So it might or might not get peppered in in that hot take. Episode number eight. Let's go. intro music we got in there that is a nice and welcome new addition to the pod nice little bit of regular intro music coming at you episode number eight we are innovating things over here at the pitch your boy michael kirsting that is michael with the y is back and we are starting with some baseball first pitch let's play some ball today's topic is that the MLB are changing their baseballs because apparently too many home runs have been hit for the good of them. One more thing to get on Rob Manfred for. Now, I am a baseball fan. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am a baseball fan. So I will watch a game through and through, think about things statistically Think about things critically. There is very, a lot of critical thinking involved in baseball. Few, I think we may have few of those types of fans left. For those who are not baseball fans, the home run provides the entertainment. People go to a game just to see a home run. I mean, if everybody, everybody asks, where are the home runs? Why it's not fun when there's a guy who hits a single? I mean, you know? It says it why does why does Rob Manfred and the MLB want to take away the best part of the game even as a of course a home run is the best part of the game it's not you, you don't sit through 3 hours of a game to watch a guy strike 15 guys out no i i sit there for that 3 run home run in the bottom of the 8th with two outs to give my team a one run lead that's what i sit there for now another reason why this is a little bit of a strange move is because there have been home run spikes in the past. The reason, by the way, should I mention that, that Manfred wants to do this, this baseball change is because last year, last full season in 2019, there was an astronomical amount of home runs hit 6,766 of them to be exact. That is far and away the most of all time in any season. It's only the second time in MLB history that 6,000 home runs plus has been achieved. The other came in 2017. Of course, the dead ball era ending in 1919 did not result in too many. Starting in the live ball era from 1919 to, 2000, to 1920, not 2020, 1920, there were 630 home runs hit in 1920, as opposed to the 447 hit in 1919. Now, you would think that there's a pretty drastic rise from dead balls to live balls. 
And then in 1921, the year that follows 1920, almost 300 more home runs were hit, 937 to be exact. And then in 1922, 1,000 home runs was eclipsed for the first time. Now, fast forward about 50 years, and let's go into maybe the 70s, let's say, all through just about the entirety of the 1960s. Around 2,000 home runs was, was the real consensus with the, with the um, exception of 1962, where there were 3,000, just over 3,000 home runs hit. In 1960, at the start of the decade, I'll give you the exact number, 2,820, oh, goodness me, I can't speak, 2,128 home runs were hit. The following year, 2,730 in 1961, a record 61 of those, of course, hit by Roger Maris. And then in 1962, there were 3,000 home runs hit. So a sudden spike in just two years' time. Why would the, did the commissioner change anything? No. So why would we change anything now? It's just a whole, it's just a spike in the best part of the game. And now it's just the main thing is that it's the pitchers. The pitchers are all sad. Oh, well, we, we want our stats padded. We want our stats to look a little better. Our ERA, ERA plus, our home runs given up. We want more money. Well, the fans want more action. This is a, this is a hitter's game and the pitchers are just going to have to accept it. It's the same thing. We'll fast forward a little more once the um, once the chain of evolution got a little bit stronger. As for the first time, four thousand home runs in a season was eclipsed. Was nineteen eighty seven? Four thousand four hundred fifty eight home runs were hit in that season, as opposed to the previous years, three thousand eight hundred thirteen. Another huge spike, but then right after that season, it dipped down almost 1,500 more back to 3,180. There was, again, no home run change, but then the numbers went up and up and up in a, in a relatively normal curve. 5,000 was eclipsed for the first time in 1998. The numbers were on a steady incline in that leading up to that 1998 season. And then the consensus was 5,000 through about from through 98 to 2006. And then 2007, 4,957. Again, not very far off. They really stayed within the 4,000s and 5,000s. But I think what really did it for Manfred was seeing the jump from 2014 to 2019. 4,186 were hit in 2014, then 4,909, then 5,610, then 6,105. That's 14, 2014, 15, 16, and 17 in succession. And I think it was at that point, once Manfred realized there was a sharp incline, that he was like, all right, maybe we'll take a listen to these pitchers and we'll change the baseballs. So now, of course, that is going to impact how the players play and what are we supposed to do now where we can't expect Aaron judge to hit 50 home runs like he normally does. We can't expect Glaber Torres to hit 40 now. So what is this going to do? What is this going to do for the league? Is it going to, it, it might, it might make or break contracts. Judge avoided arbitration in the off in this off season. 
But the Yankees are going to have a real decision to make whether or not to sign a few guys. And this is the same with all the teams. Now the Blue Jays, who have stacked up, they're going to have to make a choice now between Vladdy, between now they will have signed Springer now, but between Bichette, between Teoscar Hernandez, all their young guns who run out in relatively the same year. It might be these crucial stats, the home runs, the ribbies, that determine whether or not they get a new contract. And if Vladdy, say he played in 2019, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is who I am referring to, say he hit 30 home runs in 2019, the last full season, what is he supposed to do now in 2021 when he hits 25 and the Blue Jays fans are crying out that he's not doing enough? There have been spikes with home runs in the past and no commissioner did anything about it because why there's no need to evolution wise it's just getting stronger and we're only going to be seeing more home runs hit so this is a this is a hitter's game and all the pitchers really need to do is get better I mean they can't just keep hanging sliders over the middle because it doesn't matter what you do we can go back to the dead ball era at this point if a guy hangs a slider over the plate there's there's going to be eight seven eight guys out of ten that are going to be hitting that thing at least 350 feet and over the fence. I mean, I don't really know why there, there, was, there was any discussion here, but Manfred has decided to go with the pitchers and maybe deal with some lower home run numbers for this season. And of course, for the as a fan of the game who, who realizes how important these stats are, another one being OPS in – in terms of future contracts for players, it's it's nervy. It's nervy to me because now Cashman, say as an example, will look at somebody. Will give Judge as an example. They'll he'll look at his OPS decline from 2019 to 2022 and say, "Man, why did he not do so well?" You know what? You can go and be an unrestricted free agent just because you didn't live up to our expectations. Well, it wasn't what they were expecting. We weren't really expecting a ball change, but we're going to take some of the supposed juice out of the balls and, and potentially cost some players their future, which that's, that's where I stand on it. I don't think it's worth doing that. And there, there, I didn't think there was much of a reason to do that. So that is today's baseball section. Let's switch the play and get it on to soccer. From one pitch to another, here we go. Time for soccer today on the pitch episode number eight. You guys always hear me talking about the boys in blue, my beloved Chelsea FC. We're not talking about them today, folks. Today, we are going to switch over to a different side of London. We are going to go over to North London to discuss one of the teams I one of the few teams that I absolutely despise and that team is Tottenham Hotspur. I have never liked Spurs. There are very there are very few teams in this world that I just absolutely hate. Spurs is one of them. I have had a fond hatred of them from the second I started watching soccer and I'm going to talk about them today because they had been on a pretty decent run of form right before a few things happened, but but then 
just before their last match, they won their last match 2-0. They had lost three in a row. Now, do notice something. In those three matches, there is a common theme in all of them. That is that in at least the second half of the last three games before the West Brom game that Spurs have played, Harry Kane did not feature in any of those games. The last three matches against against Chelsea, Brighton, and Liverpool were all losses, and and Harry Kane did not play in 90 minutes in all three of those games. Harry Kane is Spurs' striker. He has 13 goals and 11 assists in, in the Premier League this year, leading the league in goal contributions with his tag team right-hand man, South Korean international Hingmin San. The two are an absolute ragtag duo. That's where I can give some credit, even though they I do not like Spurs. Got to give credit where it's due to them. Uh, Kane and San are are one of the best duos in the world. But you seem to be we seem to be seeing the best out of them potentially because of this system that Spurs are running. Spurs manager right now is former Chelsea manager Jose Mourinho. He is known for being a rather passive manager on most of the teams he has managed playing a style where the defense sits back and strikes on the counter. A style that you would think that most that most smaller teams, most smaller Premier League teams play against the bigger teams. So why do you think well so why would Spurs be a team to go and do the same thing? That's the main question and that is a style of play as a as a supporter of a bigger club. I don't respect if you are the better team, which he, which Spurs absolutely are in most cases against bottom half teams are going to do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing to that other team as the other team are going to do to them. It's, and it turns into a standoff. The only thing they do is they strike on the counterattack. That is where Kane and San, we're going to highlight Kane especially has been so effective. The tactic is that right after the ball gets cleared, Kane vacates his striker role and drops in very, very deep, close to the defense, and releases either Hingman San or the guy on the right or other guy right on the left or on the left, depending who it is. Usually it is Dutchman Steven Bergvine. But regardless of who it is, Kane is the spark plug in this in this uh, Spurs counterattack. And I think without Harry Kane, there is not much to this Spurs side. San has continued his form, but but San, I mean, San has has Kane to thank for almost every goal he scored. San scored four goals earlier in the season against Southampton. Kane assisted on all four of those. He's got 11 assists, and four of those came in one game. And almost all of Kane's assists have gone to San. So there is a lot in this Spurs team that is of question because of the quality of their players. I think Kane is maybe the second or third best striker in the world right now. There's no doubt he's got ability. And I think it's just we are seeing even more versatility in his game because of this passive play style. And I've always respected Kane, but I just think for him, I've, 
it's pretty clear that Spurs aren't going anywhere up further up the table. They before Kane came back. That's another thing, by the way. So Kane had missed the games against Brighton and Chelsea. In each of those games, they lost one nothing. Brighton at at Brighton away, excuse me, and Chelsea at home. They lost one nil. And Kane was out with an injury for both of those games. He comes back against West Brom three days after the Chelsea game and scores. And West Brom lose two Spurs 2-0. I feel like this Spurs side relies too much on Harry Kane. I mean, you need to have another guy on this side. And they do. They've got Son. But when Kane's out, who's going to be dishing the goals out, you know? And then Mourinho doesn't give time to... To new, to new player Gareth Bale, who's returned to Spurs after a long time at Madrid. It just, it's questionable, in my opinion, the Spurs tactics only because of how reliant they are on Harry Kane for it. So they, he had an instant impact. Of course, he was not supposed to be in this He was not supposed to be in the West Brom game, actually. He was supposed to be hurt for longer, but he had rebounded and recovered way quicker than everybody expected. And, of course, as any good striker does, he comes back and makes an instant impact. But my main problem, as I have already stated, is with the dependency on Kane in the system. Because as soon as Kane comes out, it's right there. They've... And it's even when Kane's in and he doesn't score, they really don't get too many results. Spurs have been a streaky team. They have lost five games on the season. No, they've lost six games on the season. They lost their first game to Everton. And after that, the other four losses have come. Is this six losses? I'm, I'm, I have stats pulled up right here. It's six losses. Beg your pardon, not five losses. They lost their first game to Everton. And then they have been streaky. If they are going to lose one, the stats say this season at least, they're going to lose another. They lost to Liverpool 2-1. And then they lost to Leicester the game after 2-0. Then they lost to Liverpool again 3-1. And then Brighton and Chelsea came knocking down as well. In all of the in those games, especially well, the the three game stretch that they that they had skidded in, Kane hadn't scored in either of those. In the two losses that, in the other two losses to Liverpool and Leicester, Kane did not score or assist either. And the same with the Everton match. But in almost all the other games, besides a draw with Wolves, yeah, just besides the draw with Wolves, he has been involved in a goal in every other game. So when he does not when he's not involved in a goal in a in a goal, meaning either a goal or itself or an assist, Spurs are likely to lose. And that's really, really a, a problem. Because what happens when he goes down? It's bound to happen. No one's invincible. So you're gonna have San step up, but the main guy who assists him is hurt. He's the spark plug for this offense. And I respect the hell out of him, but what do Spurs do when he goes down? Listen, as a Chelsea fan, I have no problem with watching them lose and things like that, of course. But I feel bad for Kane himself because he's running this offense and this counterattack 
what could he be doing somewhere else where he can play soul striker, where he doesn't have to drop, or even if he can drop, he can act not only on the counter, but being at, as a team on the front foot. Kane has been linked to Real Madrid before. I think he would make it great there. Everybody says that they've had, they've had so many transfers that have just not worked out. The newest one for Madrid being former Chelsea winger Eden Hazard. He's just not worked out because of all his injuries and things. I think Kane would get along great there. Just because it doesn't matter what it is. He's just, he's the... He's just consistent. I couldn't find the word. I was at a loss for words. He's the definition of consistency. After his his one breakout year, he came back, took that number 10 shirt for Spurs and has not looked back since. So he's a class striker and we are only seeing the best out of Kane because of the system that he's working in. And if he were to work in a system where he's where he'd be on the front foot with world-class wingers, potentially Hazard if he gets back fit, Asensio out on the left for Real Madrid. He could be the best in the world. And it's just as simple as that. So Spurs fans, if you if there are any of you out there listening, let me know. Is Do you think your team is too dependent on Harry Kane? If not, then let me know. I would love to hear about it. So that is the end. And that is a wrap for the soccer section on the pitch today. Let's swing it over to the hot take. It's football time. The Super Bowl has been wrapped up, but that means only off-season to go forward now. It's a sport that never sleeps. Hot take is next. It is hot take time on the pitch. Just about to wrap up episode number eight. But before we do that, We've got a nice hot take coming from the National Football League. It is not about Tom Terrific or anything. There's no debate, no hot take that he is the greatest player of all time in the NFL. He's got more Super Bowl rings than any team combined. Ah, Not combined, but you know what I mean. The leading team is six. That is the Steelers. Tom Brady has just won his seventh Super Bowl. Congratulations to the Pats. Um, Not the Pats. That's how used to it I am. It is the Bucs now, of course. But congratulations to the Bucs taking that Super Bowl over the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, by the way, not even close to done yet. But we're going to go over to my beloved New York sports. I don't follow the Giants very much. I don't root for them as hard as I do for the Yankees or New York City FC. But I know a little bit about them. And I do definitely know enough to say that, to talk about today's hot take. That is the fact that they need to sign Kenny Galladay this offseason. The Giants have had a rather their their receiving core has has been a bit of a letdown in my opinion. Looking at the stats, as Darius Slayton was leading the the receiving core this year, caught for 750 yards, and um, Sterling Shepard had a bit of an injury hit season, missed four games, didn't do as much. The same with Evan Ingram, the tight end. His hands are still on the fritz as fans. I hear it every week that fans are just disappointed with Ingram's efforts still dropping passes and things. So the receiving core has been a little has been lacking a little bit, but I believe that Galladay is their chance, is their chance to really pick up that top-tier receiver that has been missing since Odell Beckham Jr. departed the Big Apple. Before this year's season, Kenny Galladay was the 
number one receiver on the Detroit Lions, had back-to-back 1,000 receiving yard seasons in Detroit in 2018-2019 before this season where he only played five games due to, due to injuries. If he can stay healthy, though, I, Galladay seems to be the perfect fit because Daniel Jones needs a guy who, he, who can just be a constant threat who can who's a reliable man to just to be hitting at all times and I said that name Odell he was their last guy to hit a thousand receiving yards for the Giants he's and the and Odell did it in 2016 there has not been a Giants receiver since that 2016 for Odell that has caught for a thousand yards which is one major thing that the Giants are missing even with the absence of Saquon Barkley, their running game held strong. Gallman played great this season, and the defense was a revelation under Joe Judge. So with their, their, there is maybe one or two more additions they could be making to that defensive core. There's their, um, their backfield is looking great. James Bradbury, Jabril Peppers leading the way back there. But I think they really need that top-tier receiver who can catch for 1,000 yards, that one guy who you can trust one-on-one. Because Galladay was a weapon for Matthew Stafford, as I said, caught, caught for 1,000 yards. And in, I believe it was 2018, he led the league in receiving touchdowns with 11. Caught 11 touchdown receptions, not too bad. And he's now a free agent. I don't think the Giants need Allen Robinson. They need a bit of a bigger weapon than that, and they should be willing to splurge and spend a little bit of money on a top-tier receiver for Daniel Jones because who knows, a guy who can catch those if he passes, it might be the guy to bring Jones's confidence up. So they don't really need to go for any anything else, really, maybe re-signing their defensive lineman that's a free agent this year, potentially, and they are willing to do that, but to really make a push for that playoffs for that NFC East crown, maybe um, to, to rival Washington, to rival Dallas. I think they really got to sign that top tier receiver. That is Kenny Galladay. And that folks is the hot take. And that is episode number eight of the pitch. Thank you very much for listening again. A quick shout out to Paul Werner who provided who has provided me with that sick intro slash outro music. You'll be hearing a lot more of that of that intro outro music in the future. Once again, I am your boy, Michael Kirsting. That is Michael with a Y. Thank you very much for tuning into The Pitch. Episode 9 coming next week. Thanks again. Bye.